0: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo.
1: fellas. Thanks so much, Darlene. Coming up on this week's rendition of Catch and Shoot 2.0, we talk with a great Carolina Tar Heel. Otto is out, though, which means we welcome in the one and only Bruce Bernstein. And Bruce, we've had a lot of Carolina Tar Heels on Pure Hoops Media.
2: Yeah, Aaron. uh, Over the course of our two years of doing shows, we've had some of the great voices in UNC basketball. We've had Coach Larry Brown. We've had Coach George Carl, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. We've had Brad Daugherty, and you did a nice interview with Sam Perkins that we packaged up over the summer. So uh, who's the latest uh, member of the Brotherhood?
1: Well, quick note, quick note about that Sam Perkins interview. He's still a million times cooler than I am, but we'll just leave it at that. All right, let's go ahead and head out to Carolina. and We will welcome in that fifth Mystery Tar Heel. <laughs> All right, it is my pleasure to welcome on not only... A longtime Carolina great, he is a former head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels and is the author of a new book called "Rebound: From Pain to Passion." Leadership lessons learned. His longtime coach, Matt Doherty. Coach, how's it going?
0: It's going well, Aaron. I appreciate you having me on. Um, it's uh, you know excited about this book. Uh, it's it's been re- well received so far, and um, uh, hopefully, people. Hopefully my book is half as good as the endorsers that I have. I have terrific people that have stepped up from, oh, Jim Nance and Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Roy Williams, Jay Billis, uh, Fran Fischella, the list goes on and on. So if my book is half as good as the endorsers, I'll be pleased.
1: What was it like kind of gathering some of those testimonials? I, I mean, I'm sure some of them are just old friends, but just going back through and asking them and, you know, them stepping up to the plate and saying, yeah, yeah. I'll do that for you. 100%. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I, I, first of all, I'm Irish Catholic and you deal with guilt. Um, and so you never like to ask for favors, but we never have a problem helping somebody else out. So it was kind of weird to ask for favors. Uh, but, uh, through the help of Cindy Byrne, who handles the PR for the book, she's, she's not afraid. That lady, I call her fire. She's on fire all the time. And so a lot of it was she did the asking. And so uh, I don't know if anybody ever wants to turn her down. So they might want to turn me down. But uh, no, it's really, it really warms your heart when people step up. Like Michael Jordan wrote the forward. I text Michael and literally within 20 minutes, he responded, you know, I text him asking uh, if he would write the forward and literally in 20 minutes, he responded, yes, you know, when do you need it by? So, you know, that just warms your heart uh, when people, friends, um, you know, people like Jim Nance, who uh, I'd say he's an acquaintance, uh, but steps up, Dick Vitale, I mean, that's heavy duty people. And so for them to take the time to do that means a lot.
1: And, Coach, one of the things that that I really remember about you is you bleed Carolina blue through and through. And, you know, I've heard you say this, that there are two shades of blue in this world. There's Carolina blue and there's Duke blue. And you were recruited by both schools before you elected to go to the University of North Carolina. Can you take us through what that recruiting process was like with both those schools and then eventually, you know, your early years on campus? Yeah,
0: Aaron, I talk about it in the book, actually being recruited by both schools when I landed in Raleigh-Durham Airport, which back then in the in 79 uh, was a very small airport, and going to baggage claim and meeting the assistant from Duke, I see the Carolina assistant there picking up another recruit. And a couple things come go through my mind. One, I'm not the only one, right? I'm not the only girl at the dance. And then the second one was, Boy, these schools must be pretty close. And then two weeks later, I visit North Carolina, North Carolina, UNC, and the Duke assistant is there picking up a different recruit. And I'm like, wow, this is weird. And then you realize how close they are. We we Both schools recruit the same type of players, a lot of times the same player. I think Grant Hill, Eric Montross, Jerry Stackhouse, myself, uh, could go on and on of the players that both schools recruited. And so it's intense and it's eight miles apart. It took us 17 minutes. My first time I coached at Duke, a 17 minute bus ride. It was weird. And so, but yet it seems like miles apart, but uh, a lot of similarities, a lot of competition. A lot of the players get their hair cut at the same barbershop. Um, on the border of Durham and Chapel Hill. And so uh, it's really a, a very unique rivalry that I don't think is, is really, it, it, there's many like it in the country.
2: Coach, uh, I know you mentioned how, you know, Michael Jordan was more than happy to write the forward for you. And I've had a lot of deal with UNC folks over the years, including a couple of their pretty good friends, George Carl, Brad Daugherty. And the one thing that everybody from UNC always talks about is the brotherhood and they all kind of trace it back to coach Smith. So can you give us an idea of how deep those bonds are, not only with the big names, but, but other names along the way that maybe wouldn't have been as high profile, let's say as yourself or some of the others.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Bruce. Um, Yeah. And again, I I have it in the book Uh, there. Some of my better, friends or acquaintances are UNC former players that I didn't play with, like Shimon Williams and George Lynch. I do a show on Fan Media Network with George Lynch. George finished in 93, I finished in 84. Shimon Williams and I got to be friends, and we talk often. And uh, Wes Miller, who is the coach at UNC Greensboro, I try to recruit at North Carolina, and he went to James Madison and then transferred to play for Coach Williams. I did his game last night on ESPNU. I'll do his game again this Wednesday. Um, Scott Williams, um, I found him on Twitter and saw that he was Democratic and I'm more Republican, so I do a radio show on Thursdays and I asked him if he'd come on because I just wanted his perspective as a African-American in this time in America, um, who is on the other side of the aisle from, from me, and we got to talking, and when I hung up with him, I said, you know, Coach Smith would be looking down with pride that two former players, one black, one white, from different eras are talking politics. and and how to make the world a better place you know that is coach smith and coach smith is the one who has brought us all together and created that culture created that family it's real bruce it's real it's not it's not just talk it's real
2: i you know and and it's wonderful to know because in our current society where if you disagree with people politically there's a tendency to think of them as an enemy as opposed to a friend with whom you disagree. Right. So I'm going to guess that you and Coach Carl don't talk a lot of politics. Or maybe if you do, you have that relationship, because we know where he stands on everything. Uh, and, and I know, you know, with Brad Doherty, again, I hate to keep bringing him up, but, you know, people think you're brothers. Uh, they, kidding. We are. Uh, he also... <laughs> you you really are. I mean, you you truly yeah. are. But I remember him telling us a story about when he was a student at UNC, and he used to drive, he lived out in the western part of North Carolina, and he, he used to drive back sometimes to Chapel Hill, and he used to get pulled over all the time. And one time he was pulled over and held for a while with a, a female co-ed who was driving with him. And he told Coach Smith about it. And Coach Smith went after that cop, apparently that cop had some previous run-ins where he treated minorities in the state uh, less than kindly. And so coach Smith really, although he was very liberal, I don't, he always, from, from what I've learned was all about right and
0: wrong, not red and blue. He, He was, but he was very democratic. I mean, he was one of the first people to try to at least publicly integrate Chapel Hill in uh, when he was an assistant coach under Frank McGuire, he, he and his pastor, Pastor Seymour took a, an African American student to the Pines restaurant that was segregated and to integrate it. So, you know, Coach Smith is, is a Democrat uh, and, and strongly a civil rights advocate. So, for him to go after that policeman doesn't surprise me. But that's the kind of relationship that we all had with him. You know, he – it wasn't just what was on the court. You know, he looked out for his players beyond the game of basketball. And, and that's a story that I, I've not heard before but it doesn't surprise me.
1: And, Coach, I remember when you got the job at North Carolina, I remember Dean Smith being a big advocate for you. That He was one of the ones that reached out and said, this is the guy that you need to hire after spending just one year at Notre Dame. What was your relationship like with Coach Smith? What was it like off the basketball court, even before you got the job at North Carolina?
0: Um, it, it, we had a good relationship. Um, it, was, it was always – to me, a player coach, and he was a little intimidating because, you know, you always wanted his approval, <laughs> and he was a smart man, and you were wondering what was he thinking, and it was it was hard for me, I think, being in this, the, the head coach, and I think one of my biggest problems was managing up to Coach Smith. Um, I, I did not probably manage that relationship as well as I should have. Where Coach Williams was an assistant with him, I was a player, so I, I felt like, you know, that relationship never really graduated. Very, really, didn't mature as much. Uh, so it was a little uncomfortable at times, and I probably could have done a better. job. Well, I know I could have done a better job in managing that relationship. Do you talk a little bit in the book about?
2: kind of how do you bounce back and what do you learn from, let's say, adversity?
0: Well, that's what the whole book's about, is rebounding from adversity and basically rebounding from my loss of my job at North Carolina, the fact that I was a, was ridiculed as a leader and trying to um, go on a leadership journey, and that journey, leadership became my passion. So the pain of losing my job took me onto a leadership journey and leadership became my passion. And I, I now run a, the Doherty coaching practice, which is a leadership organization. I work executive coaching company in the country. So it's become my passion because there was, you know, as a player, as a coach, when you lose a game, you watch the film and you try to get better. And that's what I tried to instill. Like you will fail as a leader you will make mistakes in life. And as a coach, as a player, we're used to it. That's one of the values of team sports is dealing with failure. Okay, we failed, we lost the game. How can we get better? All right, let's do that and then move forward. And so that's what I try to teach. I try to share with people the landmines that I stepped on in in, in hopes that they will avoid those landmines when they take over a new job, or when they become a first-time CEO or head coach.
1: Coach, I think that's such a valuable lesson to be teaching, because all of us have been there at some point. We've all lost a job that we love that, you know, I think a week later, you start questioning yourself, how do I get back to where I was, or what steps do I need to take to get back to who I was? And that's the hardest thing, is just getting over that mental aspect of it. But you took steps from not only taking leadership courses to co- or to teaching classes at universities, how helpful was that to you personally? Because I'll, I'll, I'll say it, I, that's a tough thing to do, to not only lose a job at a place that you love, like North Carolina, a place that you played, a place that you coached, but then to share that message with so many people. What were some of the mental steps that you had to take to get to that point?
0: Well, I tell you, one of the best things I've done is write the book. I have not felt this hole in a long time. It's been, what, 18 years, 17 years since I was forced to resign, 18? And it was hard. I mean, one, your confidence is shaken. You know, you, you have to put on these masks. I was told, hey, don't hide. So I wanted to be public, I didn't want to just be a hermit. Um, you can't escape it, right? Well, first of all, I'm six, seven, you know, gray hair. People say, Hey, you must have played basketball, you coached, you know, it's you're recognizable, especially in the state of North Carolina. So I wasn't gonna hide. I was gonna be out there. I'm gonna my, my wife has a took a, a phrase from somebody and says, When you get run out of town, get out front and make it look like a parade. So we we try to make it that way and realize, you know, hey, you know, I, I I did the best I could. I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from them. And it's okay. Our lives will go on. But in private, it it hurt. I dealt with depression. I felt like I was falling off the Empire State Building and there was no net there to catch me. Where I always had North Carolina to catch me. I always had Coach Smith. I always had Coach Williams. I worked for Coach Williams for seven years. So now it's like, where do I go? How do I reinvent myself? And, and, and so um, there's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a lot of dark days, dark clouds. And I feel like I'm just now getting through a lot of those clouds. Coach, when it
2: comes to big time basketball, recruiting, et cetera, et cetera, I, I know that, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people that you may or may not, who may or may not like you. But in your case, is there such a thing as being too honest for your own good sometimes?
0: Oh, yeah. Your biggest strength, and this is a lot of what I learned in my leadership journey. Bruce, are you from Long Island? I mean, you said you spent time on Long Island.
2: I, I, I lived there for three and a half years. Both of my kids were, were born there. But no, I'm a
0: Boston area guy. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, um, well, we all got our problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, like Long Island, growing up in the park, playing ball, you're wired to be aggressive. You're wired to be intense. You're wired to be, at least I was, to tell the truth. And, you know, things were black and white. And I always struggled, you know, if people, somebody asked you for a favor and you said yes, they never asked why. But if you said no, they would ask why. And you're like, well, I've just said no. It's it's like, no. And, you know, so like I was very black and white, blunt, honest, brutally honest. And because that's the way I like people to be with me. So when I went on this leadership journey, I met with Carol Weber at the University of Virginia. She was an executive coach and taught a class. And she had me take the Myers-Briggs test. And this is, this is all about leadership. And when I walked in, this is just a couple months after I lost my job, I was down, I was depressed, I was beaten up. She said, uh, you know, with small talk, she said, well, here are the results of your Myers-Briggs assessment, okay? Now, have you taken a Myers-Briggs, Bruce, or Aaron? No, a I long haven't. long time ago. Okay. All right. It's just a personality assessment. And she said, uh, you're an ENTJ. And I jokingly said, I've been called a lot of four-letter four words before, but never an ENTJ. And she said only 2% of the population are ENTJs. So I'm thinking I'm a badass, right? Like I'm elite. Like North Carolina just let go of this elite individual. And I'm thinking that. And I think as she saw me puff my chest out, she said, no, you don't get it. That means 92% of the population don't think like you think. And I was like, oh, my God. What a concept, right? Because I thought everyone thought like me. And so to that was one thing. And then the other thing I talked about, talk about an emotional circle. Your biggest strengths, your biggest weakness. So one of my biggest strengths was that I was intense. I was honest, you know, I play hard, blah, blah, blah. Well, too much of a good thing's a bad thing. Once you go outside that emotional circle, there's collateral damage. So, you know, I could be too honest. You're honest, you're honest, you're too honest. I'm intense, I'm intense, I'm too intense. So that's the self-awareness that you need to understand that, okay, I better stay inside this emotional circle. And, and that's part of leadership that I didn't understand at 40 years old after my, you know, one year at Notre Dame as a head coach.
1: Coach, do you ever think maybe that opportunity came too fast? Yeah. That, that that maybe you wish you would have been at Notre Dame a few more years? Yes.
0: I said that to a writer. I said that to a writer. I said, it might have been better if I stayed at Notre Dame for five years. And he wrote it like, well, I'm, I can't handle the job, right? So, uh, but yes, yes, yes. Um, Mike Bray talked about the coach at Notre Dame. You know, he started at Delaware, and he's like, there's value in starting at a low level because you can make your mistakes and not a lot of people are watching.
2: Well, at North Carolina, everybody is watching, and, and certainly um, the scrutiny there has got to be unbearable at times. So when you're winning, everything's great, and when you're losing, you know, you're a bum. How how tough is that to deal with when you know the entire focus of the state, every loss, you're like, oh my God, you know, it's like the end of the world.
0: Yeah, it's it's easier for me as the coach than it is for my family. Now, I, I equate it to like you're in a boat and there's this wake in the wake of collateral damage, and your family's in the wake, your friends are in the wake, as as the you know, the person who's the coach, you're focused on the next game. You're trying to put blinders on. You know, yeah, are there things that you're hearing and you're having to deal with? Yes. But you're always looking to the next day, the next practice, the next game. So it's a lot harder on my family. Fortunately, my kids were very young. But uh yeah, it's 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 hard. And you don't realize the stress you're under till you're out of it and you're like man how would i deal with that but um yeah it it's 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 tough because you have to wear this mask and sometimes that mask could get heavy
1: coach you spoke about this with bruce about how important the carolina family is and you mentioned it is a family and you know after something like that happens i imagine the first thing you want to do is get as far away from it as possible but who reached out From Carolina, whether it was past teammates, you know, some players from that '82 team, some uh, some of your old coaching staff, who really helped you through that.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the first calls was from Michael Jordan. He left a long voicemail on my phone uh, that I attempted to save, but uh, you know, just how disappointed he was that. You know, I left a good job at Notre Dame to take this job, and and that happened. And so that was, you know, felt good. Uh, Some friends, uh, John Black, and again, I write this in the book, John Black, Bobby Ellington, two two buddies who attended North Carolina. Bobby is my roommate there. Obviously, my wife, Kelly. Um, But, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people don't know what to say. Kevin White, the AD at Notre Dame at the time, who's just now retiring at Duke, he was one of the first people to call me and and tell me to take the high road. There's less traffic up there. And that was the best advice I received. And I did that. I try to do that. I try to do that every day. It's hard. In the book, I talk about uh, driving over the bitter river and you have to pay this hefty, hefty toll, and it's a slick road, there's no guardrails, and you deal with these triggers where someone could say, you know, you got screwed, you know, and and they're trying to be nice and friendly and supportive, but that's a trigger, and all of a sudden you feel yourself driving into the bitter river. So you've got to slow down, tap your brakes, and, you know, tell some people sometimes, hey, I appreciate that, but I moved I move on, I'm looking through the – front windshield not the rearview mirror and i think that's a, a challenge for anybody that has dealt with some kind of loss whether it be you know somebody dying job pet i mean we had to put our dog down in january that was that was one of the toughest things i've ever had to do so yeah so there were there were some people you remember who called aaron and you remember who didn't because you have a rolodex And as the head coach at North Carolina, a lot of people want to get to you. And one of the therapeutic things is when you lose that job, there's like 75% of your Rolodex gets cleared out.
2: I know you've been really generous with your time, but I wanted to ask you about one thing that's prevalent in our society now, but there really wasn't much of a factor, if at all. Certainly in your UNC time, maybe it started to kick in a little bit more at SMU, but that's social media and the effect that that has on everything from these 18-year-old, you know, student athletes to the fans out there. I personally feel it's mostly a cesspool. I'm on it a little bit mostly to promote our Pure Hoops media programs. Uh but what's your feeling about social media and and the effect that it has particularly on the the college students but also the coaches and the administrators?
0: Yeah, wow. Um in an ideal world, we wouldn't have it, I think, for several reasons. There are certainly good things about it. I learn, I like to learn, I like to follow smart people and learn from them. And but I think a couple things. things, um, people will say things on Twitter that they wouldn't say to your face. So I think the, the rage, the anger gets amped up, and I think that's helped the divide of our country. Um, You touched on something earlier about people saying things. Abe Lincoln had a great quote, had many great quotes, but one of them was, I do not like that man. I must get to know him better. You know, you talked about, you know, if you didn't agree with your friend about something, you could still be friends, but you talk it out. So if you and I are friends and you, you know, let's say you were a Democrat and I was a Republican and okay, Bruce, let's go get a cup of coffee and talk about it. So now we were show a respect, we may still disagree, but we can agree to disagree as opposed to on Twitter. Oh, you're, you know, you're a jerk because you're a Democrat. Oh, you're, you know, if anybody supported the right, they were a racist. I mean, it was just quick white, you know, whitewash. And that I think has helped divide our country. And the other thing is um, comparison games are the work of the devil. And when you see a couple of things, young people, and we all, it's a dopamine hit, right? You have somebody new follow you. All of a sudden it's like, whoa, my, my self-worth is better now because I had 10 new follows. Now I'm 58. Now, do that to a 17-year-old. And now they're like, wow, I got these people like me. Oh, they don't like me. Or the comparison games of comparing your everyday to someone else's highlight film. And I say, you see this pretty girl on the beach with an umbrella drink, you know, sitting on the hood of a Maserati. And so everyone's like, man, I don't have that. Man, how do I get that? That my life's not going to be fulfilled till I get that. That's dangerous. So it it probably does more damage than good, quite frankly.
1: Coach, I can't appreciate your time anymore. Uh, Everything that you've said has been insightful. It's been educational and it's been entertaining for us. Uh, The new book, it is Rebound from Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons and Learned. It is out in March. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to get my copy. And, Coach, I'm going to leave you with this. There's actually three shades of blue in this world. There's Carolina blue, there's Duke blue, and then there's Jayhawk blue. But you had to know that, right? You had to know that.
0: (laughs) Rock chalk. (laughs) Uh, The book book can be pre-ordered on Amazon or you can go to rebound-book.com, which is my website, You'll see some cool pictures, see some quotes. Um, So, yeah, and then I'll have the audio version coming out too. So thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: Uh, Anytime, Coach. It was a pleasure having you. And that is out in March. Pre-orders are out now. Make sure you check out. That was dope. Coach Darty, very, very self-aware,
2: very, very honest about his own pluses and minuses. Uh, and one of the points that he made that I really thought was wonderful was about the corrosive effect that social media can have, not only just on young athletes and coaches, but on society in general. I just thought that was so perceptive.
1: Yeah, the, the biggest point he made is he goes, You know, it affects me, and I'm in my 50s. Can you imagine what it's doing to someone who's 16, 17, 18 years old? And, you know, Bruce, the thing that's top of mind for me is I've lost a job before. You know, I know what he's gone through, and I can't imagine. The level of not only having it your alma mater, a place where you won a national title at and you played with people like Michael Jordan, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, you know, Dean Smith was the person who kind of pushed you for that job. And then to have that all taken away from you, that's tough to bounce back from. And so the fact that he's coming out now with this book, he's confident in his story. People should applaud him for what he's doing now and how he's finally able to tell that story. Because you alluded to this in the interview, Bruce, Carolina fans are not forgiving. They love that program. They love their own, but if you hurt that program in any way, they don't care. They'll disregard you. And so I I thought that he was just so insightful. His candor was tremendous. And that was a lot of fun for me. We thank coach
2: Doherty for spending time and we expect his book will be a smashing success. Uh, Thanks also to our producer, Scott Turkin, who puts this whole puzzle together, as well as to our new editor, the wonderful... Kristen Woolley, who's making us all sound really good. And Aaron, thanks for allowing me to fill in for Otto this week.
1: Oh, anytime. It's always a pleasure having you. And just so you know, his book is already in my pre-order cart, my pre-order cart on Amazon. So I'm ready to have something new on my bookshelf. And if you guys are looking for new NBA, college hoops, basketball content in general, Pure Hoops Media is your one-stop shop for all of it. We have shows Monday through Friday as we kick it off with the Mike Weiss show every Monday, Tuesdays, full court with Ginny Fisher and Kara K. Wednesdays is where you get your NBA news and nuggets and all your latest, greatest interviews, Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and myself. Thursdays is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure. And as always, we round out the week with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Bruce, am I forgetting anything?
2: Just to remind our friends and listeners that we're still in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. And Please wear your mask, social distance, get vaccinated. Please get it. Let them uh, let them stick you in the arm there. And again, keep all the medical professionals and frontline workers in your prayers. They're putting it all on the line for all of us.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself, man. Bruce, thanks so much for filling in for Otto. Everyone, until next week, this does it for Catch and Shoot 2.0. Go enjoy some basketball.
0: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.